Memorial Day. It is observed on the last Monday of May. It commemorates the men and women who died in military service. Many of you may visit cemeteries or memorials this weekend and many of our national cemeteries. If you were to go and visit this weekend, you'd find American flags at the site of each grave. It was Jesus who said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We're thankful for those who gave their lives for the freedoms that we have in this country. We're gonna pray in just a moment. We're also gonna be praying this morning for Ricky West of our church family. Ricky's father went to heaven. Also, we're praying for continued healing over Rob Stonelake. Uh, we're gonna pray this morning uh, for the needs of our church family. Father, we love you and we say thank you. This Memorial Day weekend, we reflect on freedom and what that word means. And we know that freedom has not been free, that it has been bought with a price. Father, we're thankful for those who have been willing to put on the uniform of our armed services, serving in conflicts around the world. And Father, we're thankful for those who have laid down their lives so that we can worship freely. Father, we also keep in mind this morning that many return from military service and uh, through PTSD and other things that, Father, that there is a recovery period upon returning. Father, we thank you for freedom, that freedom was your idea, and we remember the families of those who have had someone in their family die in the line of duty. Thank you for your continue, continued comfort and surrounding for these families. Father, we also lift up to you Ricky West and his family at the passing of Ricky's father. Father, we thank you for, for Jennifer's grandfather, Paul Fryart, who went to be with the Lord last week. And Father, we also lift up to you Rob Stonelake and any others who are suffering in body today. Thank you for your healing touch. We thank you that you are the great physician. And we ask, Father, that you'd bring to completion the healing in his body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, it is great to be with you this Memorial Day weekend. Hey guys, up in the booth, could we give the folks in the sanctuary just a little bit of light in case they wanna take some notes this morning? Uh, there are no fill in the blanks today, but if you uh, would like to, I'm of course, jot some things down. There you are, good to see you. Thanks so much uh, up there, we appreciate that. I'd like to share with you the story of my faith journey today. Summer 2005, I was invited to church in Austin, Minnesota. We've talked about this before. Austin, Minnesota is famous for what? What do they make in Austin, Minnesota? Spam. They make spam in Austin, Minnesota. In fact, if you have one of those blue cans in your pantry, flip it around, look at the writing on the back, it should say Hormel Foods, Austin, Minnesota. That's where I was invited to church. Church was not new to me. I grew up going to church in Portage, Michigan with my parents, Susan and Jim. Uh, my parents were here last weekend. Many of you greeted them and welcomed them and I thank you for that. Went to church with my parents, Susan and Jim, and uh, my brothers, my younger brothers, Mike and Phil. I remember the Bible stories. I remember going to Sunday school. I remember sitting in worship services with my family. Even now, looking back, I can remember looking at uh, the preacher back then thinking, you know, someday I might like to give a Bible message when I grow up. So I'm thankful for my parents who brought me to worship services. My mom taught me to pray before bedtime. She told me 
to read my Bible. I'm so thankful that the prayer that we prayed as kids and many of others prayed as kids, the prayer that we prayed has been retired because it was terrifying. <laughs> it went like this, now I lay me down to sleep. You know it. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That was terrifying for a seven-year-old. I remember sometimes laying in bed wondering, would tonight be the night? <laughs> Do you know that prayer has been changed? They've changed the words. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That part is the same. Here's where they've made it better. His love to guard me through the night and wake me in the morning light. Less scary. <laughs> Growing up, I enjoyed church. I liked going to church. We would go out to lunch or breakfast after the service. I enjoyed all that. But I did not understand what Jesus did for me. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. God shows us his love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I knew the Easter story. I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I knew, I knew the tomb was empty. I knew that all that was important. But I did not fully make the connection between Christ's suffering on the cross and the separation that I had between myself and my heavenly father. Growing up, I had an interest in broadcasting beginning at an early age. In fact, I would set up a little radio station or pretend radio station in my bedroom. My parents bought me a $10 Radio Shack microphone. I would set up some cassette decks and I would pretend that I was on the radio and doing my own radio show there in my bedroom. Uh, as I got a little bit older, my brother, my younger brother, Phil, playing hockey, I would take that microphone to the ice rink. I would plug in the microphone in a CD player and I would be the public address announcer for the Squirt A Kalamazoo Wings. When I got into high school, my friends and I, we hosted the television announcements, the Mustang Morning News at Portage Central High School. Our high school competed in forensics. You know, the public speaking competition, I think that we have that in Oregon, the public speaking forensics, nothing to do with crime scene investigation. I did these public speaking forensics competitions and somewhere in my parents' house in Michigan are two trophies because I was the state champion two years when I was in high school of forensics. Oh. That's kind, thank you. The glory days. <laughs> While I was in high school, some friends invited me to Young Life. This is a ministry that reaches out to teenagers. I went to a few Young Life gatherings. I even remember going to Taco Bell with the leader of the local Young Life. And I remember he prayed before we had lunch there at the Taco Bell. Sometimes we need prayer before we eat Taco Bell. Here's the, the, the problem. If anyone asked if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. But I was saying yes, not fully understanding what it meant or what it means to be a follower of Christ. I thought that if you went to church, if your family went to church, if you enjoyed church, if you celebrated Christmas and Easter, that you were a Christian. Because see, I, I had friends who I went to school with and they didn't celebrate those holidays. And I thought, well, we celebrate those holidays. We are Christians. 
John, in his account of the gospel, tells us what it means to be a Christian. John chapter 3, verse 36, anyone who believes in God's Son has what? Eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. That connection still had not happened in my life. The broadcast path, it seemed promising. I was accepted to Arizona State University, where I attended the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. This was meaningful to me because my grandfather used to watch Walter Cronkite on the CBS Evening News every night. That's the way it is. That's what Walter Cronkite would say at the, at the end of every one of his broadcasts. I actually got to meet uh, Cronkite in the last years of his life as he came to the school. Uh, I had an internship at Arizona State University with the Sun Devil Sports Network. We broadcast the Arizona State football and basketball games all over the state of Arizona for two seasons. I got to travel with the football team, and that's actually how I came to Oregon for the very first time. 2002, we came to the University of Oregon, Eugene, and we played the Ducks. Arizona State played the Ducks. Um, so this, you Ducks fans may enjoy this story. Uh, Oregon was, was ranked sixth in the nation at that time. It was a home game for them. We were not ranked. We were supposed to just get annihilated by the Ducks. But do you know, Arizona State, we won that game 65 to 62. You don't know how to react. You're happy for me, but you're sad for the Ducks. You're conflicted. The next year we came back, my senior year, 2003, my second time ever in Oregon, we played Oregon State at uh, Research Stadium in Corvallis, and the Beavers won that game. So in college, I went one and one in Oregon. I also had a Sunday night radio show on this uh, radio station in Phoenix, Cool 94.5, good times and great oldies. So while things were going very well when I was in college, if you had asked me if I was a Christian, I always would have said yes. But here's the thing, I was not living like a Jesus follower. I was chasing relationships for the wrong reasons. I was doing the things that I thought college students were supposed to do. I got into drinking. As I look back, I, know, I realized that I was selfish. There were times that I did the right things, but I had the wrong motives. There were times that I was manipulative, I was not compassionate. There were good people in my life that I was not always good to in return. I thought that life's fulfillment and happiness was sourced in career accomplishments and having a great girlfriend. Well, things on the outside may have seemed good to my friends, to my fellow broadcasting students, to my teachers and leaders that I was around, while things may have looked good, they were not good on the inside. I remember anxiety, I remember sleepless nights, I remember thinking no matter what I was doing, I was worried that I was missing out on something better. Now they call that FOMO, fear of missing out, I had that. I later would realize I would figure out what I was missing was relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. 
As I look back on my own life story, perhaps you could do the same. I can connect with this verse. Things look good on the outside, how others may have perceived my life, but on the inside there was death. There was impurity on the inside. And church, what I can tell you today is that I'm thankful that God pursues spiritually lost people. God goes after spiritually lost people. In fact, what may be described as Jesus giving his own mission statement, Jesus says this, Luke chapter 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek. The Son of Man came to seek. The Son of Man, the Son of Man came to seek and what? And saved those who are lost. Looking back, I can see evidence of how God was pursuing me. As you look back on your own life story, can you think of how God was pursuing you before you gave your life to Christ? God was pursuing me. God was pursuing me when those faithful high schoolers invited me to their young life gatherings. God was pursuing me in college when I was in my freshman dorm and I heard a knock on the door of our dorm room. And I opened the door, we were on the fifth floor and it was open, the door, the door opened to the outside. I opened the door to the outside of that fifth floor um, and the balcony was there, the hallway was also the balcony. There was a, a girl standing there at the door and she pointed to the courtyard and there were some people sitting at a cookout, some other uh, college students. And she said, my friends, we're having a cookout down there and then we're gonna do a Bible study. I would like to invite you to come. And I looked at her and I said, I'm, thank you for the invitation. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to come to the cookout. And I closed the door. Looking back, I pray that my reaction to that invitation, that that college student was not discouraged because I turned down her invitation. And looking back, I'm thankful that there was a college student who was bold enough and courageous enough to go door to door in our dorm and knock on door after door after door, inviting people to come and learn about Jesus Christ. See, here's what I thought. Well, if you had asked me, are you a Christian? I always would have said yes. I didn't want to be like really, really Christian. I didn't want being Christian to interfere with all the fun that I thought that I was having. This is where it gets so messed up. I thought that I was having all the fun and those super serious, really, really Christian people, I thought they were the ones who were missing out. Hebrews 11.25 describes it this way. Hebrews 11.25 describes the fleeting pleasures of sin. The pleasure of sin, not forever, but for a season. Pleasures that last for a short time. One translation puts it this way. The transient pleasures of sin. What often is fun in the moment, later leads to regret. After college, I was hired by KAAL in Austin, Minnesota, home of spam. I was assigned to work in the Rochester Bureau, about 45 minutes away. Maybe you know what Rochester is famous for. What, is, what famous place is in Rochester, Minnesota? The Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic. There's like 27 buildings that make up the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. If you are sick, it is a wonderful place to live. I thought that would be funnier. Living in Rochester, Minnesota, I continued the lifestyle that I had picked up in college. I would go to work, I would go to the bar with my buddies, my roommate. I remember a night in the bar when I had a wake-up moment in my faith journey. 
Maybe you've had this in your life story, a wake-up moment. It wasn't the moment that you gave your life to Christ, but it was the moment that you, looking back, know that God was beginning to get your attention. I had that moment. My, my roommate and I, we were uh, at a bar, and we're looking at around, and uh, we said, this is, look at all these depressing people. They are out every night. How depressing their lives must be. We're those people. <laughs> See, I knew that at some level, even though we were doing this, I knew that there was, in some ways, I, it's okay. I knew that the way that I was living was not healthy long-term. I knew the way that I was living was not healthy long-term. I thought I'm living this way now, but at some point I am going to meet the right woman. And I'm just gonna turn this lifestyle off and somehow automatically I'm gonna be a good husband and a great father. What I realized in that moment is that this was not just gonna happen automatically that there were gonna to have to be some intentional life choices turning away from this and turning in the direction of something else. So uh, I thought, I think I was 22 at the time, 23, I thought I need to become a better person. I need to become a good person. Well, what do good people do? Good people go to church. So if I wanna be a good person, I probably also should start going to church. I had some friends there in Minnesota who I knew they went to church. So uh, I asked, can I come to church with you? You tell me when you're gonna go to church, I'll meet you there, we'll go to church together. There are many Lutheran churches in Minnesota. I went to several Lutheran services. And then there was a coworker at the television station who invited me to her church in Austin, Soda. So I decided to go to church with her. This church, something was up there. It did not meet in a church building. This church met in an, in an elementary school gym. There were no stained glass windows. In the traditional denominational environments that I grew up in, when you walked into service, they handed you, I don't know if they called it a bulletin or if there was a more churchy word for it, but they handed you uh, like a three trifold thing you opened up and you followed along with the whole service. They had the hymns in the service, they had the numbers, and so you'd get out the, the um, hymnal as the service was going along, and you got prepared to turn to the different numbers that, where the songs were, and then there was a part in the service when there was somebody that would stand up in a pulpit and they would read a part of, uh, and you'd follow along, and you weren't really paying attention because you're just waiting for your part. You're waiting for your part as the person in the pulpit is reading along, and then that person stops reading, and then you read aloud with everybody else in the room. I walked into this church that met in a gym with no stained glass windows and there was nothing to follow along with. I thought, how am I gonna know what to do when I'm in this worship service? Then it started and there was no organ. There was no organ. How you all, I, I, that, they said that's also how you say the name of our state. There was no organ. There's no organ. We're together, right? Okay. So there's no organ, there's no uh, hymnal, there's a band, and then this, uh, well, how are we gonna know what words to sing when the songs start? Well, they put them up on the screen, and we're supposed to sing along with the words on the screen. And then the pastor came up, 
And I know now that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit because he gave a message that spoke right to my heart. He gave, me, he gave a, a biblical message that was practical and applicable to my life. And then at the end of that service, he asked everyone in the service to bow their heads. And he said, if anyone would like to make a first-time commitment or a recommitment to Christ, I would invite you to do that right now. You can do that by raising your hand. And I raised my hand in that church in Austin, Minnesota, Cornerstone Church. I gave my life to Christ. After the service, I'm walking out the door, and that pastor, Pastor Dave Simerson, he ran after me. And he said, you raised your hand today. You made a decision today. In the coming days, Pastor Dave would call me and he invited me to go out to breakfast with him. And for one day a week, for several weeks, Pastor Dave and I would meet at the Windmill Restaurant in Dexter, Minnesota. And Pastor Dave began to explain to me what it meant to be a follower of Christ. What a privilege it is if you ever have this opportunity to walk with someone in the early days of their faith journey. If you do that for someone, if you have done that, if you are doing it now, Whoever you are walking with will thank you and remember you for the rest of your life. And many of us who are Christ followers today, looking back at our own life story, we are thankful, whether it was a parent, a pastor, a friend, a coworker, someone after we gave our life to Christ, someone began to explain to us and was patient with us and answered our questions. And now we think back, I can't believe I asked that question. At the time, Pastor Dave and his wife Sarah, they had four young children. And I didn't appreciate fully what it meant for him to leave his family to come and meet with me and invest two hours a week in helping me start my faith journey. Pastor Dave and Sarah Simerson, also Pastor Corey and Angie Getz, these are precious people to me at that church in Austin, Minnesota, Cornerstone Church. Paul, the most well-known missionary, church planner, and evangelist of all time in all of history, and he's the author of most of what we now call the New Testament, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and in this letter to the church in Corinth, Paul lists several sins, sexual sin, worshiping idols, stealing, greed, abuse, and cheating. He lists these sins, and then Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that, and then there's a transition. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Many of us today, we can see our life story in this verse. In the past, we gave all of our energy to chasing after what is not for God, what is actually against God. We thought that what would bring joy and peace and satisfaction, what we found out is that after a season of what the Bible describes as transient pleasure, all those things actually left us feeling empty, disappointed, and full of regret. We didn't see it at the time, but then someone explained what it meant to truly be a follower of Christ. We realize that our sin separates us from a holy God. There's nothing that we can do to earn right relationship with God. Attending church is not the same as being a follower of Jesus. We realize that we need someone to do what we cannot do on our own, and that's to restore our relationship to God. So Jesus Christ, he came to this earth fully God, fully man, the one without sin, who died on our behalf so that we can be restored to our heavenly Father. So our life story is covered by what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Some of you were once like that. 
The way that you were living was against God, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When we made that decision to declare Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our life direction changed. Instead of chasing after what is against God, our life changed and we began to run after what is for God. We are cleansed. With newfound faith in Christ, I got involved in church. I helped with youth group. I went on my first missions trip to Thailand. I went from being curious about church to being all in pursuing Jesus. As that increased, I began to leave my old life behind. I moved to Milwaukee to take a reporting job at WTMJ, today's TMJ4, the NBC station in Milwaukee. Pastor Brooks, who was here last week, Pastor Brooks shared that I started going to Oak Creek Assembly of God because I was working the morning news on Sundays and Oak Creek had a Sunday evening worship service. As I look back, so many of the transformational moments in my spiritual journey happened on Sunday nights. I am thankful for Sunday evening worship service. Within my first few weeks, I met Jennifer. I met Jennifer in the college and young adult. Yes, I clap for her. I met Jennifer, about a, we got married about a, a little more than a year after that. We had Savannah. We were really involved in church. We were in the Christmas and Easter productions. Jennifer sang on the worship team. We developed many of the closest friendships that we've known in our lifetime. After we had Dahlia, we began to talk about career, and Jennifer said it's okay to look at what career opportunities might be out there beyond Milwaukee and television news. We. Uh, known the city of Tampa, and we thought maybe we'd like to get a job in, in Tampa. So Tampa, Florida, there's no snow there. That was good living in Wisconsin. We thought this would be a good thing to live in Florida. So we began to even pray, or we wrote down Tampa, Florida. And within a few uh, months, we had one formal offer from a television station in Tampa and an, an informal offer from a competing station. I went to Tampa. I accepted a job. I took the drug test. They even sent me the contract, and the contract, it came, and it was sat, I remember, I can see it, in a manila envelope sitting on our kitchen table. And I would look at the envelope, and I thought, tomorrow I need to sign the contract. Okay, tomorrow I'll sign it. Tomorrow I'll sign it. I resigned from my position in Milwaukee. There was something I, I couldn't sign, this contract. I did not have a peace in my soul, and Jennifer certainly did not have a peace about signing that contract, but I thought, we have to sign it. I've already accepted a job at the TV station in Tampa. I've quit the TV station here. If I don't sign it, we'll have no job. In a very uncharacteristic move, the news director of that TV station in Milwaukee stopped me in the parking lot. He said, I don't know if you've signed that contract yet, but if you haven't, we'd like to make you an offer to stay in Milwaukee. And so that's what we did. We decided to stay in Milwaukee, but that began a soul-searching moment. If in our early 30s we had just said no to what we would seem like the most logical next career step, God, are you leading us out of this career? Are we supposed to leave behind this career that I thought in high school that I would be in for the rest of my life? What's going on? I began speaking to friends who were Christians and asking them, if I'm going to leave broadcasting, if I were to even consider it, what career fields might be out there that my skills in broadcasting might translate to? Corporate communications, marketing, real estate, what might work? There was a pivotal conversation that happened that changed my life. 
Do you know that sometimes one conversation can change your life? This conversation happened at Dunkin' Donuts. Spiritual conversations can happen at Dunkin' Donuts. This friend that I was speaking with that day and mentor, he was in a high-level marketing position, and I told him my story as a Christian, and he said, Tom, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to send you an email, and in that email you will find some careers that might be good and might fit based on your background and experience in broadcasting. And sure enough, he sent me an email. There were four suggestions, one, two, three, four. Numbers one, two, and three each had a, a job title, and there was a lengthy description after each one of those uh, describing what that position might be and why broadcasting background might be good for those positions. Then number four. Number four was only one sentence, and then there was a supplemental sentence in parentheses. I still have this email. He wrote this. Number four. I also think you'd be a great pastor if you ever went in that direction. Period. And then in parentheses, he wrote, I just had to say it. I'm thankful he did. I thought this was crazy. Pastor? Well, I began to ask some of my pastor friends, well, what do you do? <laughs> pastor Rob, Pastor Brent, what do you do between Sundays? What do pastors do? And as I began to listen to my pastor friends explain to me what happens, what their lives are filled with, what their days are filled with, I thought, well, the title still seems crazy of pastor. What you're describing to me and what your lives are filled with, I think that, God, you may be tugging me in that direction. I remember the conversation I had with my wife, Jennifer. Jennifer, I think that God might be leading me to be a pastor. And she said something to me in that moment like, I've known this. And I've been waiting for you to figure it out. <laughs> Our pastor, Jerry Brooks, I met with him and he said, continue to work and honor the TV contract that you have. And why don't you begin to take some Bible and college, uh, Bible and theology college courses? So that's what I did. I'd go to work, come home, be with my family. Kids would go to bed. I would study college courses on Bible and theology. As my TV contract was coming to an end, after I'd earned several Bible and theology college credits, I met with Pastor Brooks about joining the team there at Oak Creek Assembly of God after attending there as a member for eight years. We joined the staff. Jennifer and I loved being on that team. We loved that church. We were sending missions teams all over the world. We were leading our adult Sunday school and small groups program. We relaunched and built a Wednesday night worship service called Life Together. We had Savannah, Dahlia, Tucker, and Elsa came along. Then in April this year, of last year, April last year, I got a call from someone who I had never met in my life, a call that came out of the blue, a call that I wasn't expecting a call. It was a surprise. It was Pastor Scott Erickson. And that afternoon, he began to tell me about People's Church in Salem, Oregon. 
We believe that great days are ahead for People's Church. We uprooted and moved our family from a place in a church that we love in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We moved to Salem because we believe God has led us here. And we believe that great days are ahead. We believe that God has positioned People's Church to be a place of hope, to be a lighthouse of hope for Salem, for Oregon, and for the world. And we have moved here not to do this on our own, but to join with you, to link arms with you, to be a place in a state where so many do not know the hope of Jesus Christ. We're here to be difference makers. We're here to take this to the next level, wherever God may lead us. And we believe that God, as we are faithful, is going to make that path clear. And he has a great journey. He has a great path ahead for people's church. And when we are united, when we pray for God to give that vision, God is going to give us a vision. And great things are in store. We're here to do it, and we invite you to join with us. It's going to be a great ride. Thank you. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we are thankful for testimony. Father, every person who's in this room has given their life to Christ. They have a story, and it's a story worth telling. Father, guard our hearts from what may be testimony envy, where we say, oh, I wish I had their testimony. No, God has given each, you, Father, have given each one in this room their own story, and it's special, and it's unique, and it's the fingerprint of God upon their life whether they came to faith in Christ as a four-year-old, a 40-year-old, or an 80-year-old, Father, you gave them their life story. Give us the courage and the boldness to tell our story. Father, I'm thankful for the inviters who are in this church. I'm thankful for people who say, come with me. As we think of our own life story, we're thankful for those who invited us. Encourage and empower us to be inviters. I wanna ask a question in this room today. It's a question that I was asked at that church in Austin, Minnesota. It was a, a life-changing moment for me when Pastor Dave Simerson with heads closed and eyes bow, bowed, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I will get that. He said, is there anyone in this house that would like to make a first time commitment or a recommitment to Christ today? I'm gonna ask this room today, with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, a sacred moment. Is there anyone here who would say that today is the day I want to give my life to Christ? If that's you, I invite you right now, just as I did all those years ago, lift up your hand and look at me and say, today's the day that I wanna give my life to Christ. Is there anyone in this room who would make that decision? How many in this room would say, I wanna give my life to Christ today? To give your life to Christ, all you have to do is invite your heavenly Father to come into your life. Say, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against you, I've sinned against others, and I see the damage. Tell God, today I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and say from this day forward, I wanna live my life for you 
and I want to set aside all that is against you. God is good. God has given you a testimony. And for someone, that testimony started today.